Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm going to ask us to just go to the Lord in prayer. I want to talk to you from my heart, and I believe the Lord will help us. Will you do that? Lord, we thank you and appreciate you for allowing us to be here in this house. We are eternally thankful and forever indebted, God, for your goodness your mercy and your strength. We are just asking you tonight, God, to just place your arms around us and your hand upon us and strengthen us, Lord, individually. We all need a touch from you in our own way. And so we're praying for your blessings now in Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. It is indeed an honor to be in the house of the Lord. When I was young, just a child, we used to sing a song in Sunday school And it was a simple song, simple lyric, but a very powerful message. And I want to use the name of that song tonight as the title for my message. And that is simply this, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's a child's song, a rhyme, a rhythm that one of those tunes that can get stuck in your head if you're not careful. And um, I don't want to sing it. I don't want the tune stuck in your head, but I wouldn't mind this message being stuck in our spirit tonight because it was a powerful song. It was a song of assurance for some, and it was a song of reassurance for others. It was a reminder to both young and old alike that, that God's got this, whatever this happens to be at the moment. Because life is filled with this moment. And so, um, you know, we are taken by headline news. And uh, I've often been assured sometimes in my own spirit that whatever the headlines are today, no matter what that may be, if you just be still a little while, there'll be another headline. There'll be another story. That doesn't mean that all the glass from your crisis has been swept up out of the street. It doesn't mean that everything is over. And uh, I was involved in an automobile accident many years ago and something that I found out then that was very common, but I had uh, hit the windshield and there was glass all over me. And uh, they got all the glass out of me they could, but they said it will, it will make its way out time to time and over a course of weeks and even months it took a long time but it it finally happened and so that message in that song is simply this that God has this whatever this happens to be and so I, I want to just talk a little while this evening from my heart I've asked the Lord to help me and to help all of us today and uh, so I'll just we'll spend a little time we're going to talk about a few stories that are probably familiar to most And if that's the case, that's all right. 
It must have been really something to have been a young Solomon. He lived in a palace. He lived there because his father was the king. And so from Solomon's point of view, especially early on, all he could see was really the perks of royalty. He had everything he ever wanted and it was right at his fingertips because his father was the king. But in time, as Solomon began to grow and his understanding of life in general began to broaden, from Solomon's point of view, not only did he see the perks of being the royal family, but he also began to realize that there was a few downsides to being in the royal family. In time, he started realizing that everybody didn't love his dad. There were only a a few, perhaps, but most everyone was singing the praises of King David, but, but there were a few in the crowd that weren't quite singing as loud. As a matter of fact, they just didn't dislike him. Some were out to destroy him. And that had to be a harsh reality for a young man to see the twisting prism of that turn in his life. You see, Solomon was the son not only of David, but he was the son of Bathsheba. And you know perhaps the story of Bathsheba. And so Solomon's birth wasn't good news for everyone. And when Solomon walked in the room or when some saw him or even heard his name, it brought up very dark images for a very serious time in the history of Israel. It was a time of unjustifiable unfaithfulness and lying and murder, deceit. Oh, it was a horrible time. But David repented of his sin with Bathsheba and if you read the 51st Psalm, that is David's repentant prayer and it is a beautiful psalm. It is a beautiful prayer of repentance and God forgave him. However, the prophecy of Nathan the prophet, when Nathan said, thou art the man, Nathan said more than that. You know, we generally cap it off right there, Brother Williams. We, thou art the man, and, and, and that's sort of where we end that point in our sermon. But Nathan didn't stop talking there. He said, thou art the man. But he also went on to prophesy about the dismal things that would come into David's life because of the decisions that he had made. And so God had forgiven him, but there was that perpetual, unbending, unyielding, one shoe fits everybody law that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So David's son, Amnon, violated his own half-sister. Her name was Tamar. Tamar's brother, Absalom, killed Ammon out of revenge. And when David heard that his son was dead, David tore his royal robes and he wept and and lay on the ground and and Absalom fled for his life and he was seeking for asylum in a foreign country and he was there for some three years and so there was trouble in the royal family for sure. So we're not just talking about bickering. (laughs) We're not talking about they may not be there for Thanksgiving. We're talking about some serious, serious issues that are going on in the royal family. But David invited Absalom back. He was trying in his own way, perhaps, to bring everything back together. But it's proof, at least in what we can read, that that David must have been a much better king than he was a father. Because after Absalom came home, David would not even see him or speak to him for the 
for several years or two years, I believe the scripture says. And so in that time, that resentment built up in the heart of Absalom and Absalom sought himself to take revenge on his father. And so at the king's gate, the son of the king sets up his own makeshift office and, and little by little, Absalom set out to steal the hearts of the people and his plot worked. In time, Absalom began to steal the heart of the people and their loyalty shifted from David to Absalom and, and in time, these people crowned Absalom king. Now Israel's got a problem now, a real problem because they, they now have two crowned kings but only one throne. And so what are we to do? And so David had a decision to make. He could stay and fight. Now David was a fighting man and David was a winning fighter. And so David had the power to take care of this. He could stay and fight or he could run for his life. And, and I believe David ran because Absalom was his son. I really believe that. I, I believe that David was not running because he was a coward. But this is my son. The, the stakes have changed. This is not just another man at the end of this battle, but this is my son. And so in 2 Samuel chapters 11, chapters 12, and chapters 13, there's, there are three very dark chapters, really, to be honest with you. Fall right in here in the heart of 2 Samuel, but they teach us a lesson. And that lesson is this. We live in an imperfect world. We live in a world where we could think what I've already described right here tonight in Scripture would think that would never happen in a family. But sadly, it happens all the time. I wouldn't say it happens every day, but we see this kind of thing happen. And so we realize that we do not live in a perfect world. And maybe the story of Absalom's rebellion is what prompted Samson, or rather Solomon to write in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses number 12 and 13, Solomon said, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Solomon understood one thing. We don't live in a perfect world, but we serve a perfect God. And we don't live in a just world, but we serve a just God. And so our world is broken. And because our world is broken, there are times that it seems as though, at least for seasons, that bad people prosper and good people suffer. It happened in David's day and it is no different in our day. And if time just keeps going, it will be no different in our tomorrows. And the reason is the same. From the time of Adam and Eve until now, the reason has not changed. We live in an imperfect world. But we must remember that we serve a perfect God. And God has the ability to take things that are out of orbit and out of order and bring order to them. Amen. Through all the wins and through all of the losses, we have to know that God is just and God keeps a perfect record. And in the end, God will mete out justice and he will set all wrongs and he will make them right. So now we shift, I want to shift our attention from the royal family and the palace and let's move over now to the home of a man by the name of Asaph. He was a very... Um, 
loyal man, a very gifted man, and he was not in the first family of Israel, but he was a psalmist. He was a songwriter, if you please, a musician. He was not royalty, but he worked with royalty. He was one of David's three chief musicians. And Asaph, again, he is another man that has a bird's eye view firsthand. He watched the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And so Asaph composed the 73rd Psalm. I know that we often attribute all of the Psalms to David, but that's not accurate. David did not write all of them. But here is a man, a contributing editor, if you please, to the book of Psalms, Psalms 23. In this Psalm, Asaph addresses this imbalanced world. And it's in, in Psalm 73, really, I'm really glad that it's there because it's a peek inside um, Asaph's, not only his journal, but it's a peek inside of his heart. And thinking, I'm thankful that he was bold enough to be honest and transparent. So when you begin to read Psalm 73, you're just a very few verses into it and, and, and Asaph is scratching his head and if you read it really seriously, he'll have you scratching yours. Because Asaph is, is, is saying things like this. He said of people that are evil and wicked, he said they seemingly live painless lives. They don't have any trouble. They, they wear pride like a jewelry around their neck. They have everything they could wish for. They speak evil. They boast against heaven. They just have a life of ease. And then Asaph took a look in, in the mirror at his own life and how he had obeyed the laws of God and how he had kept his heart clean and he talks about keeping his hands clean and I think we know the biblical reference to that. He did everything that he was taught to do and at the end he felt like my reward has been plagues and chastisement. But then in verse 13, he, he kind of took that to another level. And, he, and I don't think he spoke foolishly or out of the will of God, but, but he was so transparently honest. He said, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? And do I get nothing but trouble? in return for everything that I've given. Asaph looked out the window and he saw the prosperity of the wicked. You may be seated. <laughs> so we've all looked out that same window. We've all looked out Asaph's window, haven't we? You see the prosperity of the wicked and then he looked into the mirror and he saw his own suffering and he said, this just doesn't make sense. I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm doing everything right. And it just seems like I can't make this make sense. Until we get to verse 17. And when we get to verse 17, it's here that Asaph went into the sanctuary of the house of God. And when he was in the presence of God, God helped him to understand the end of all things. He didn't necessarily show him the end, but he was just able to see the end. And it all began to make sense. He saw this unswerving, he saw this unswerving justice of God, that God is just the same. Amen. I can remember when I was in high school and, and someone stole something from me that was very valuable to me. And I was extremely upset. I felt if you've ever had anything stolen from you, you feel violated. 
I mean, it's something you worked for. It was something that belonged to you and, and um, great or small if it meant something to you. And I was extremely upset. And uh, I have a cousin, Vicky, that's only about six years older than me. And we grew up the uh, big part of our lives. We just lived a few yards away from each other, a couple hundred feet away from each other. And uh, she was like the sister I never had. And, and, uh, and so she was very motherly and she liked to be in charge. And uh, she hasn't got over that at all. But I was talking to her and I was so upset and I was bemoaning my, lo- my losses and then I went on to say to her and I said, you know, I've never stolen anything from anybody. That doesn't mean I'd never done anything wrong, but I wasn't a thief and so I was, I've never stolen anything from anybody and, and I would feel better about this. You know, if I was a thief, I would just consider that to be the life settled itself and with a very motherly tone, she looked at me and she said, That's just not how life works. And she wasn't speaking in a condescending tone, but there was something so sobering about that moment and that conversation that I'm still talking about it 45 years later. Because the light came on. It's not how life works. She wasn't rebuking me. She wasn't shaming me or embarrassing me. She just said, That's just not how life works. And so you've never stolen anything, but guess what? In return, somebody steals something from you. That is life. Amen. And so perhaps I think (laughs) that kind of perspective is just what we need in this imbalanced world to just realize that, that sometimes this is just how it is. And maybe you know people that cheat and swindle in their business dealings. They have no moral compass They're just looking to climb the ladder. They see a person not as a person with feelings, a man not as a man, a woman not as a woman. They just see people as money and they see people as an opportunity and they will just use you as a rung on a ladder just to get wherever they want. And uh, you can be seated again. And you know them, you see them. And, 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 uh, you know, some people... (laughs) You know, they're, they're just that way and that's just and they just keep going. They just go right on through life and you look at their expensive cars and their nice homes and, and all these elaborate toys and you begin to think that maybe, you know, maybe this is how you do it. That you just cheat and swindle and lie your way and that's how, maybe that's how you get blessed, so, so to speak, to use a little church word there. And, you know, especially you can think that if you don't have an expensive car, a nice home, or or elaborate toys. And that's how Asaph felt. He looked around him and he saw all the things that he was missing and all the good that he was doing. And he wasn't being self-righteous. He was just being introspective. He was looking deep within. And Asaph was no doubt, I have no doubt in my heart, that Asaph was correct in his analogy of himself and of others that he was really looking at wicked people and that he really had kept a clean heart and clean hands, amen. And so when we look at those things, that's how Asaph was looking and we've looked at situations when it seemed like the honest suffered and the the dishonest prevailed and it's in those times that we begin to feel like that our devotion to God has been in vain, amen. And that's when we need the Lord to help us look within and think beyond this moment Amen. And walk into the sanctuary of the Lord and remember that we are so blessed of God. And God has been so gracious and 
God has been so kind. Amen. Jesus was so emphatic and so clear and he left no margin of error and no room for discussion. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. We will face financial worry and family problems and pain and peril and and, and the good news is is that we do not have to face this alone. Amen. That not only does God fight for us, but he goes before us. Thank God. We're not only blessed because of what we have, but we're blessed because of who has us. He has us in the center of his will, in the middle of his hand, and God has not called us to understand the imbalance in our world. He's just called us to trust him that I have this. I have this. And you know, we're called on to trust all the time, really. You place your order in any restaurant, you just started trusting. <laughs> I'm not trying to invoke anything into your heart or mind. But we trust people that we don't even know all the time with all matter of things. We fill a prescription we can't even pronounce. And we take it without hesitation. Trust, trust is exercised in so many areas of our lives and it is exercised against the backdrop of nothing that we have, anything to compare it to. We trust, we trust everything is okay but when we've been walking with God, this is something we've got to compare something to. He's always been there. I've never been where I am but he's always been where he is. Amen. And so when Asaph turned his eyes away from the wicked, turned them to God, Asaph's, it didn't bless his life overnight and it didn't curse those lives overnight, but it gave him a perspective that he could only see by seeing things as God sees them. Sooner or later, he said in verses 18, 19, and 20, the summary of those verses is this, that God is gonna judge all the wicked for their wickedness. God will take care of this. He will bless those that need to be blessed and he will take care of those that need to be taken care of. God will make wrongs right. Nobody gets away with being unrighteous, especially at the expense of the righteous. And so once Asaph understood one simple thing, he understood that he doesn't have to understand. I want to just say that one more time, not to insult anybody's intelligence, but when Asaph understood that he didn't have to understand, he could see that I belong to God. And God has this. Psalm 73, 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. And so the message was clear. God's got this. Meanwhile, he also has me. I've shared this illustration before, but um, the last secular job that I worked before my wife and I went into full-time ministry was one of the most, in many ways, one of the most trying seasons along the lines I'm fixing to share with you that I've ever experienced in my life. I worked with a man 
that must have known something about Pentecost and obviously he had some sort of negative experience, I suppose. And this man, I, I just can't, I will not, no matter what I say, I'm just going to run this uh, little disclaimer. I will not embellish this 1%, no matter what I say tonight. This man would openly mock me in front of fellow employees at every opportunity. And he made several of them. We would all be in the break room and he would ask me, especially on days that followed our service days. And so on Mondays, you could be rest assured, you know, he came, he had his guns loaded. We had our midweek Bible studies on Tuesday night. So on Wednesday morning, he was always ready. And um, we would sit there and he would set everything up. He would wait till everything was, the stage was just right. And he would, he would say, why don't you show us how you shouted last night? And uh, it would just get deathly and eerily quiet. And he'd say, come on. He would get up and, and uh, out on the floor and he would act like he was shouting. And he said, is this what you did last night? Is this how you did it? And we're grown men. I mean, this didn't take place on the kindergarten playground. This is grown men. And he would say, why don't, you, uh, why don't you show us how you spoke in tongues last night? And then he would openly mock speaking in tongues. And I'm not going to do that for the sake of this illustration. But he would say, did it sound something like this? And then he would jibber jabber away. And uh, I was the youngest person employed there. And it was a very intimidating situation. They also knew that I was a preacher and I knew they were watching and waiting and, uh, and it was just being tried. <laughs> and, uh, it was just being tried. It was, just a, it was a kangaroo court, so to speak. And, uh, and so there were days that I really didn't understand the Lord let him get by with that. I'd love to stand here tonight with a pure heart and tell you that there were days I didn't wish the Lord just take care of it right then. But he never did. I met that man many, many, many years later Still alive and well. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. I don't know what I thought he would be or where I thought he would be. He was still grinning, still happy, just living life. I would think in a setting like that, and I can't exaggerate how mocking he would be it was eerie it was scary and you just want to back up because you think God is fixing just there's going to be nothing but a greasy spot in the floor he'd just laugh and get in his truck and drive away apparently he laughed his way all the way to the end I suppose the only thing that I ever know knew that came out of any of that was the last day on the job there, one of the ladies that worked in the office that I didn't even know would be privy to any of this. On the last day that I was there, she just approached me and she said, I really admire how you've handled that all this time. 18 months, and it was weekly, many times a week. It was unbelievable. I would see him and just get a knot in my stomach. I just, you know, you just dread. I did everything I could do to avoid him, but he just made himself as broad as he needed to be and tall as he needed to be. And in those times, you've got to really stay focused on the Lord. 
Amen. Now, I realize that my illustration about break room mockery and things of that nature pales in comparison to other things that we have all faced in life. As a matter of fact, that pales in comparison to many things that I went on to face later. But God proved to me that he would just keep me. And I had to trust him even when the outcome wasn't what I thought it should have been. Amen. Throughout both the Old and the New Testaments, we see people and we meet them in Scripture and they're called by their names. And these people are significant in Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the list goes on and on. And their names often describe a little bit of their character. And so by their names, we know a little bit about them. But then there are times that we are introduced to people and we don't know their names. But we know something about them because the scripture introduces them in such a way that is utterly descriptive. And so the the Bible talks about the blind man. Well, you don't need to know his name now because we've got a description of him. He's blind. The lame man or the leper. And so you don't need a a name or, or anything else. You've got a pretty good picture in your mind about this. The author with just one word gave us a clear description. So it is yet in other nameless and faceless Bible characters. When you get to one man's house in scripture, when you come to the mailbox at the end of the long drive, you don't really need to know this man's name because the scripture really describes him by saying a rich man. He's just a rich man. And uh, you don't really need to know the square footage of his house. It's not important how many chariots are parked in the driveway. You have all you need to know right there, a rich man. But then there's another Bible character in this same story. He has a name. It's the beggar laying outside of the gate of the rich man's house, and his name is Lazarus. Someone apparently just laid him there and left and said he'll be okay because at least when the servants of the rich man take the trash out by the road, he'll have something to pilfer through and he'll have something to eat at the end of the day. He had nothing by way of worldly goods. He was going to beg for his next meal or his next alm. His body was ravaged by disease, perhaps wounds left in its wake. While nothing, having nothing by this world's standards, apparently Lazarus somewhere along the way did something right eternally because he had made things right with God. In time, something, perhaps the disease, took its final toll on the body of Lazarus and, and it's probable that he was taken at the end of the day, no pomp, no circumstance, no nothing, just he was there today and he's gone tomorrow. Maybe they just took him out to the end of the road to the beggar's field and, and, and uh, we don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us perhaps the turn in his life that made him homeless or what the decision was that put him in that kind of peril. We just look at the picture and if we look at the picture, it would all seem so un, imbalanced. It would seem so improper because if we were to look at the picture taken from the road in the background of the picture we would see wealth beyond belief but in the foreground would be a picture that would show us abject poverty such imbalance but from God's perspective it was totally different Lazarus was far richer than the rich man because Lazarus had invested in eternity 
Jesus said to the angels when Lazarus died, carry him and put him in Abraham's bosom. That's where Lazarus is gonna be. Amen. To the Jews, Abraham was known as the father of the faithful and so God sent angels to carry him to the very bosom of Lazarus in paradise. Lazarus now finally able to rest. Life now has not been this way for him in longer than he can ever remember. God's greatest blessings, I believe, are things that we cannot buy. We cannot even put our arms around them. Amen. If we have nothing at the end of our days, but we have made peace with our maker, then we are richer than the richest person in this world that doesn't know God. All the problems, all the plague, all the peril of life will not even be a memory in heaven. Revelation 21 says, and God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more sorrow, crying. There'll be no more pain. The list goes on because that is gonna all be taken care of by a God that is fair. Heaven will be heaven. Amen. It will be heaven for all the glory that will be there. That is for sure. But another, also another facet of heaven is gonna be the absence of sorrow. And we can't even fathom that. The one who created us, died for us, I believe emphatically is coming back for us. And I believe that is closer than we could dare imagine in our own mind. I want to ask our musicians to come today. Now this story is not one-sided and neither is ours because there's another character in this story whose story must be told. I believe Jesus wanted it told and I believe he would want it told. His life on earth was so different than that of Lazarus. It was different as night and day. The Bible says of the rich man, he fared sumptuously every day. Every day was a holiday. Every meal was a banquet. He fared sumptuously every day. We don't know any of the details of how he gained his wealth. We just know that he did, a rich man. That's all we know. However, his fortune could not fend off that determined appointment that all men have. And I'm not trying to be cruel, but it must have been a stunning sight for him to open his eyes and see that picture changed. Remember the picture a moment ago? We're standing on the other side of the street from the sidewalk. We've got unbelievable wealth in the background and we've got unparalleled hurt and pain in the foreground. And the rich man opens his eyes and the first thing he sees is Lazarus. Now that was not an uncommon sight because he couldn't open his front door without seeing Lazarus. He couldn't pull the curtains open on his front window without seeing Lazarus. So Lazarus was not an uncommon sight. It was just the setting that had changed. It was Lazarus. Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. And that man said, please send Lazarus. He might dip his finger in water and come cool my tongue. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things. And likewise, Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Now I want to be very clear about something. Jesus was not saying that riches is a one-way ticket to hell. 
and that poverty is the one we take it to heaven. But Abraham said something that we all must remember and this is what I want to underline in our minds before we go home. Abraham said to this man, remember in your lifetime. Remember in your lifetime. Those are very weighty and important words because it's what we do with our lifetime. That's what matters. It's what we do with our lifetime that matters. This matters tonight. This, it really matters that you're present. Not because your name's on a roll, you got a check mark beside your name, get a gold star. No, no, no. It matters eternally. It matters in eternity what we're doing here tonight. Remember in your lifetime, Lazarus got it right with God, but somehow the rich man didn't. I'm gonna ask you to stand. And that's why he ended up in hell. Lazarus's body may have been left in a trash heap. Maybe somebody that day was just doing their job and they hauled off an unknown man to the beggar's field. But his soul was carried to heaven. The rich man lived in extravagance, but his unsaved soul would spend eternity in hell. So here it all is, if we could just kind of pull it together and put a bow tie on it tonight. Solomon knew it. David knew it. Asaph knew it. Lazarus knew it. And it's a harsh reality that we all come to know. And that is that life can get so out of balance. And in those seasons, we must know that God has a way of bringing it back into balance. Amen. Ultimately, God is God. And he will take care of us. You know, if we think about balance, just holding something in our hands that gets out of balance, and it's going to be a calamity until somebody just steps in and grabs the other end. And in just that instant, what seemed like chaos was brought back into order because somebody just brought balance. Amen. Have you ever stumbled to fall and somebody just reached out? They saved us helped us, they saved that moment and so our calling is not to understand why the wicked prosper, the righteous suffer and our calling is not even to right all the wrongs in order to create a more balanced world, our own world our calling is to trust God to bring balance into our own lives when we need it most and he will in the stillness of the night God can be right there to bring peace like we have never known peace, unexplainable peace, amen now, I'm talking to people tonight that know what I'm saying is true. You didn't listen as a student to the lecturer tonight. You just joined me on a journey. I just underlined some things in Scripture that you have lived through. Can I get an amen? amen. That God will just step in. And the reason for it is because he has the whole world in his hands. The whole world in his hands. He's got Whatever it is that we face, he's got it. Amen. I wonder if we could just lift our hands, our voices tonight. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.